0: Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I'm Marita Espada. If you are already a fan of the podcast, welcome back. If you are new to the podcast, I speak with creatives and entrepreneurs about what turning points had the most impact in their lives. We discuss business, creativity, mental health, and how those may interconnect with each other. Turning points can be anything in life. For my guest, Jen Ruiz, it was when she went from a lawyer to a full-time travel blogger and author. If you're looking for tips and tricks on how to do this yourself, you don't want to miss this episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and a review. Now, let's kick off the show. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I'm really excited to have you today. Hi, Marita. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So I like to kick off the podcast, which is giving people a little bit of your background, your story and where you are right now.
1: Well, my name is Jen Ruiz, and I live in Humacao, Puerto Rico currently. Um, I was born here, but I grew up in Philadelphia, and I went to college in Miami. I went to law school in Baltimore and then quickly moved back to Florida because I realized I was silly to run away from the sunshine. And then I practiced law for five years before transitioning to travel blogging full-time, uh, which I've been doing now for a little bit over two years.
0: That's great. That's awesome. I love that. And I think we talked we talked a little bit about this before I started recording the podcast. Which is funny that you are in Puerto Rico and I grew up in Puerto Rico and I left the island and now you were raised in the states and you went back to the island. So it's kind of like polar opposites of what we did. So I love that story. So I kind of want to unpack a little bit more of that. Um so you said that you were a lawyer. So what drove you to kind of like after all the work that you put into becoming a lawyer, right? Just making that transition from being a lawyer to what you're currently doing now.
1: It wasn't easy. And I think there was definitely a lot to let go of in terms of expectations and the prestige that comes with being a lawyer. Um, I was already barred by 24. So that was something that I always relied on to give me more credibility, you know, like kind of a little tiny girl going like, I'm a lawyer. Um, and so I like <laughs> um, it was just something that I really, it was like, just something that automatically I could use in situations. And so stepping away from that, that had given me so much confidence and ability and, and kind of strength to really go into the world, um, was not an easy decision, but I realized that as much as I enjoyed, cause I did like law and I liked where I was, I was working. The last place I worked was at a nonprofit that I felt was really wonderful because they had a work-life balance. They had a lot of, you know, days off. They were generous with their leave policy. The coworkers were interested in helping others. They were just wonderful people. We had a trivia team, but it still didn't feel like it was it for me, right? Like it was very comfortable and I maybe could have continued down that path, but I felt like there was more out there and that I was limiting myself by committing myself to that Predetermined path, right? So stay at a law firm. Maybe at some point, um, aim to get higher up in the in the board, and you know, get promoted. And I just found that I didn't have the same drive, and that was weird for me because I've always been an overachiever. But in that setting, once I got there, it was nice and it was complacent. But I didn't want to do like everything, right? Like I didn't want to volunteer for things. I didn't want to be part of all the extracurriculars, and that was strange for me because I always have. And I realized that I wanted to spend my spare time doing other things, particularly this weird little blog I've been working on since 2014 when (laughs) I first started, you know, um, that I have rebranded twice and that never really did anything or gave me any income, but I still liked it. And I still felt a reason to keep developing it. Um, even after the rebranding and shutting down at one point before landing on Jen on a jet plane, and then just really wanting to travel more because now that I had that work-life balance for the first time, like as a 28 year old and then a young professional, I could go places and take vacations and see the world. So that really opened up a lot of possibilities for me.
0: And so we're talking with a lot of people who have maybe like a nine to five they're always admiring people like yourself because they're like, I don't know if I can take that leap. And I say that specifically for my listeners, because I know that I have a lot of folks that are doing that nine to five and that want to become entrepreneurs. But there's a lot of myth right in that nine to five where people feel like, well, no, you have job security, which in reality, what 2020 has showed us is that you don't have job security. Something like this can happen. A company can downsize and you can be let go. What do you, I guess, tips or advice do you give people when they're about to make that leap and they're feeling um, insecure in their decision making process? Or how can I go from like a paycheck that I know that I'm going to get maybe every two weeks to just having nothing? And so besides having like a nest egg, right? Like something to fall back on. Um, what are some other things that you did yourself to prepare for that change?
1: Absolutely, and that was not an easy mind- mindset shift for me. I actually specifically recall a moment where I was in the you know Czech Republic after maybe a four or five months after I decided to do this full time. And I had a mini breakdown being like, I don't want to do this. I just want (laughs) one job that I know what money I'm getting. And I don't understand why you people have to have eight different income streams. And this is so complicated and so much work. Um, And I was, you know, This was after a failed e-bike trip down a mountain, like the worst heat wave in Europe. And it was just like, this is miserable. Um, So I had a really bad time and I really second guessed it. And I thought to myself, am I crazy? What am I doing? This was was, on that same day, my little brother that um, never graduated college and, you know, just, it didn't have anywhere near the accomplishments. I did message me like, Oh, I got a job that pays me $80,000 and I'm moving to New York city. And I'm like, what is going on with life? I have made some poor decisions. And I, am, I need to reassess. I really, I'm not hundred percent sure what's happening right now. Um, and so you will have those moments. And I think now looking back, I am very grateful that I have multiple income streams but definitely I got there kicking and screaming thinking this is such a pain I can't believe I have to develop all of this and now I see it from a broader point of view especially now where I am because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have made themselves millionaires you know off of their own initiatives and I've seen the growth potential so I think before there was so much comfort in just knowing I'm getting $2000 every two weeks you know whatever the case may be yeah. but now there's so much possibility. Like I could make 20,000 in a month and that could be like a normal thing as an entrepreneur, depending on the kind of initiatives that you're doing, the kind of work that you're doing, the clients that you take on, the sponsor campaigns, all these things. There's really so much potential. There's so much unlimited growth um, and ways that you can get a little bit more stability as well. So first for me, one important thing was that I was teaching English online in the mornings before work for an entire year while I was still working full time. And so I would wake up like at 6am and I would teach classes from 6.30 to 8.30 and then I'd go to work. Um, And so that gave me an extra like thousand dollars or so a month. And I knew that if I was doing that Like more, I could make more money because I was just getting, you know, I could just scale that up and take more classes. So I always have that as no matter what, I have a remote job that I can make money with from anywhere in the world. And it's enough to sustain me if I, you know, just work more. So that was not necessarily my preferred way of making money, but it was always a fallback that I've had. And then from there, I started building my income streams. So I think for most people that work online and have a website, um, ad revenue is a really great place to start and and to make steady money. Um, Food bloggers can make $5,000 plus a month easily just on ad revenue and the traffic that they get. Um, As a travel blogger, you get a little bit less, but it's still very lucrative. And you can always scale it up more by writing more articles, ranking more. So I was making you know pre-corona about like 2500 to 3000 a month off of ads alone from my nice. website.
0: We will get to our conversation with Jen in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give you all a quick reminder. If you would like to view more free content relating to business, mental clarity, and how can this help you as a creator and entrepreneur, you may sign up for my newsletter The Mindful Minute by visiting maritaespara.com. The links are also in the description of the episode. With that said, let's get back to the episode.
1: Um, After Corona, it's been rough and it's been bouncing back and I just want to hit like the thousand mark again, but you know, that's where it helps to have different income streams to help fluctuate and take the hits. Um, So my book royalties was another one. I started publishing books, understanding that the more books that you write and you self-publish, the more leads that you'll get to your site and other channels and the more revenue that you'll make just as a authorpreneur in general. So there were lots of different ways, sponsorships, sponsored campaigns, going and networking with people. um, Because I think so many people want these things, but then they end up going on influencer platforms and settling for like, I don't know, a $50 campaign or a free box that somebody sends you. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of your ambassador program. I don't want to review your stuff for free. Like, I just want to be paid money for the promotion to my audience now with TikTok of more than like 200,000 plus, like if you're advertising in a magazine with 200,000 plus, like you're going to want, you're like, they're going to expect money. So yeah. I don't think it's crazy to expect money. And so learning how to charge, um, making connections with people so that I could actually sell myself in person versus being one of a million emails that they get. So a lot of things went into this and it's an ongoing process. You know, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly getting together with different women and mastermind groups trying to talk strategy and and you know pitching and and different business ideas and launches and webinars and books and courses and all kinds of things. So I think there's a lot to do there, but it is definitely understanding that you are giving up that security for the limitless potential and yes, freedom to decide how you spend the day, but probably working more hours than you would if you just worked for somebody else.
0: Yeah. And I guess I have a question in the comments. So with, with the ambassador thing, it's interesting because with when I started the podcast, obviously, you know, you're starting. So no one wants to like sponsor you. <laughs> you're not going to have anyone reach out. Now that it's been a year, I do get people reaching out and they're like, test this product that I'm going to send you for free and then put it on social media. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I will only voice in my podcast episodes the products that I either believe in or something that I really um, think that will bring value to people. So like Skillshare, right? That like I promote them because I strongly believe in them. Like you can take a course and learn something quick from people that are actually, I don't want to say influencers, but more like subject matter experts because they've done it themselves. So that was, that was the comment that I wanted to make on that. Cause I know I usually (laughs) sponsor like Skillshare at the beginning of my podcast episodes, but it's like, I really believe because I use them myself a hundred percent. So I feel like it's okay to, of course you need to make money, right? But you need to have, you need to um, have sponsors on products that you believe, at least that's the way that I see it rather than just for making just a quick buck because it's your reputation in the line, Right
1: absolutely that should be the goal and for anybody looking to get started it's the easiest way to get started is to start promoting products you already use and to start you know putting out information on that reviewing places you've already been to and then sharing that content with them tagging them on those socials and seeing if that can pave the way to ongoing brand partnerships after that but absolutely i think that's the best place to start
0: yeah and i guess the other question is once you make that leap um you make that leap. And so there is no nine to five. Your hours are a little bit scrambled. Um, Do you have a routine that you like to stick with? Uh, What does your day look like? Um, Because it's basically you're managing your own business, right? Like you don't, you're not, you're not selling the product. You are kind of like the product where you can offer to people, right? So what does your day look like? Um, And what are those things that you might do kind of from like nine to five on your own time?
1: And that was not necessarily constant before this year. So with the lockdown, it has forced me to get into more of a routine because prior with travel, I would be someplace, let's say twice a month. And so it really would just be kind of fitting in things in between my trips and making sure everything got done that needed to get done before I left. Um, Now, I'd say my day starts pretty early. I still wake up early. I try to get my most necessary, demanding, creative tasks out in the morning. Um, So, if it's writing, if it's a big article I have due, if it's recording something, whatever the case may be. Um, And then I try to do kind of social media growth in the afternoon. So, engagement, posting, um, TikTok, which I am pretty big on now because it's been a big traffic driver and, and it's been the social media that's been the most. Responsive and the best algorithm, especially lately. Um, So that's something I try to post on pretty regularly. I also have a corporate account that I manage for that, that I'm on daily. Um, And then after that, I try to do any other kind of follow ups, emails, anything like that that I have to make sure I respond to. Every now and then, I'll be doing pitches, so different freelance things, different quotes from Harrow, things like that. So ongoing publicity at any point in time. and then, yeah, probably planning and prioritizing the next day after that on a workout somewhere in between.
0: Yes, that's important, especially now to get out of the house.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. It's been good. I've been really grateful that the gym has opened up. I've been doing some like small um, personal training kind of things that I just have. I'm like, you know what? At this point, I, I need it because otherwise I'm just going to sit here and never leave the computer. So I need that extra motivation to have somebody waiting yeah. for me like I'm all, and I never show up on time. Like, I'm always <laughs>
0: late and I'm like, oh, I'm late. Like, I really have to go. <laughs> nice. But at least it's some sense of accountability, right? Because you, if you are doing it on your own, it's easier to be like, well, I'll go tomorrow or I'll move it to like four and then it just never happens. So that is important. exactly so, it. <laughs> um, so I guess the the important question, right, that I think everyone has in their minds when they meet uh, someone that does what you do for a living um, as a digital nomad, what are some, I guess, tips and tricks and maybe that you really can do now? Because I think, or maybe now is the, well, traveling is so cheap, but I don't think people want to. Um, in a regular, right, year where they're pandemic free, um, mm-hmm. what would be some tricks and some tips that you would give people if they are looking to be digital nomads and traveling different locations? Because I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, are you permanently in Puerto Rico or do you pick different locations, maybe on a quarter basis or on a year basis? Like, um, or do you stay permanently in Puerto Rico?
1: I was doing a little bit more nomadic, but then that got to be really tiring and I didn't like living out of a suitcase and I can't find all my souvenirs. So I decided that I did want a little bit more of a roots place. And Puerto Rico has a lot of incentives for digital entrepreneurs. So if you're a blogger, you have you know a blog that is based here out of the island, but is read by people elsewhere, mm-hmm. you can get you know 4% federal taxes. So there's a lot of incentives here um, for digital entrepreneurs. And for that reason, there's a big digital entrepreneurship Community. So I'm happy to be here. But there are lots of communities like that all over the world. There are definitely a lot of my friends that are full time digital nomads that will house sit, that will go, you know, for two, three months to a place until their visa runs out. You have extended remote work visas now that have come up in different countries from um, Barbados to, you know, Portugal that has always had their incentives. Dubai just launched a new visa. Um, So there are options depending on what people want to do. If you're somebody that's working remotely for the first time, maybe you want to take an extended stay somewhere. Um but for me I think if you're just somebody who wants to take a vacation because I find especially when you're somewhere very foreign It can be hard to adapt for long periods of time. Like you kind of hit a homesickness wall. So sometimes the sweet Mm -hmm. spot is to like get there, enjoy, and then like go back to life. Um, So to me, like less than two weeks is a really good time to explore a good destination. And I think for that, the cheap flight is going to be your best way to get there because so many people feel that travel is cost prohibitive because they think they have to spend $2,000 just to get there. And then, God forbid, you're flying with, you know, more than one person and then a whole family family $10,000 just for the tickets to get there. So if you can find a cheap flight, that to me is a game changer. And one of my best ways to do that is with flight alerts. So many different uh, programs have come up mimicking this model, but my favorite is one of the originals and his name is Scott's cheap flights. Um, And so you sign up and he, I like him because he has a free list that you can sign up for and stay on indefinitely. And he only sends out 20% of the deals out to the free list. And then you can upgrade to premium for like 60 bucks for the year. And you get all kinds of, I get like maybe five or six deals a day from him, like 170 bucks round trip to Japan, you know, like 300 round trip to Chile, like all kinds of different deals that he finds. And then you just have to kind of be flexible book during those times when it's on sale, But I found so many great deals with that. Also Budget Airlines, Norwegian, Ryanair, um, JetBlue, Southwest, Frontier, they routinely hold sales to sell unsold tickets. So every like maybe six to eight weeks, you'll get an email if you're on their email list, like $29 fares. Like Those fares do exist, particularly if you have big cities around you, New York, Fort Lauderdale, Atlanta, Dallas, um, LA, San Francisco, all of those, Chicago. um, You can find really great deals to get to another destination, even domestically now, if that's what you're comfortable with and still feel like a vacation uh, for very, very affordable prices through that. And then the last way would be travel hacking. And I would save that for somebody who wants to hit a bucket list destination like Safari in South Africa or Antarctica or something of the sort, um, you know, New Zealand kind of thing. And then that's where you would open up a credit card with the purpose of you know redirecting all of your spending on that card for an introductory period, usually three months, to meet the minimum spend threshold and then get an award bonus of miles that theoretically should be able to take you anywhere in the world.
0: Nice. That was a lot. I like it. I was trying to make <laughs> notes and I'm like, I'm gonna have to listen to my own podcast episode to figure it out again. <laughs> Good. Um, so I know that you you mentioned that you've written a couple of books. Are these are these ebooks or are they also available like in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, other other bookstores? And are you doing courses? to help people that would like to do this? Or is that something that you might be looking to do in the future? I know that some some folks like to do that as well because it's kind of like hard to like just come out and do this, right? Because you don't, re- there's so many resources, right? So what do I do to begin? What are the first steps? And rather than just figuring it out on your own, maybe you want to talk to someone who, who's an expert, who's done it before.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So my books are available on Amazon as paperbacks. They have been acquired by Barnes & Noble, um, Target, Walmart, all kinds of different channels. I I am still exclusive to Amazon at the moment because you get different perks if you are a self-published author that chooses to be exclusively published with Amazon. But these other stores have acquired my books through those platforms because they've had people asking for it. Um, And so I encourage anybody that's an entrepreneur, anybody with an expertise in anything to write a book. Because if you're already putting content out in the form of social media, in the form of blog posts, if you're already making a name for yourself in a certain field, a book will give you a next level of credibility. It'll make you an author. You will have literally written the book on this topic and that'll open doors for you if you want to be a public speaker, if you want to do um, just any other kind of different activities, like being an author will really help you solidify that. On top of that, having a book on Amazon allows you to use Amazon as a lead magnet of sorts because people are going to Amazon. They're looking for an expert in a certain topic. And I'm speaking now at this point basically nonfiction for entrepreneurs, Yes, Um, but they're looking for an expert. They're looking for a solution. And so you can include a link to your website. You can include a link to your show. You can include a link to your social media channels in the free preview that Amazon allows for your ebook. And then that's giving you traffic and warm leads as well to your sales funnel, to your free course, to your intro product, whatever it is that you're offering. So I think that it's a waste to not be on Amazon, especially if you've already created content that can fill a book understanding that you only need you know for a regular 99 cent book I'd say like 10,000 words for like a regular ebook or so 40,000 words to 60,000 words is a good nonfiction book some people write five thousand word blog posts already. So that's not really hard to kind of just compile and organize. And if you know your market, you can really, and continue to write more books. You can not only make steady income from the books themselves, but you can use that to launch other aspects of your career, including courses. I have uh, different webinars that I've given on self-publishing. I also do private consultations. I just did one uh, right before this podcast interview and I am working on a self-publishing course for people that just want to kind of go through it um and have it step by step from idea to publishing.
0: Yeah. I think it's a great idea because well I work remotely but um or remote Remotely remote, um, for a tech company. So it's like I'm not like my own boss, but I can just work from wherever I want. It's not a big deal. Even if it's in different time zones, it's not like a big deal. Um, and then I have like my side hustles and my side businesses, which is the podcast is one of them. So, but I think it's important for a lot of individuals that do want to do this um for a living to have someone or a course or something rather than just like throwing something to a wall, see if it sticks, right? And you know, why recreate the wheel when we can learn from other people? Um, In regards to writing a book, because I know this question comes a lot from followers and things like that, do you believe that the book is a good segue to kind of keep growing your brand or should people wait until they have a solid following before writing a book? And I know this question, I think it depends as well from my experience. Um, In the industry that you might be writing a book in, um, whether or not the book can help you get... Uh, speaking gigs or grow your brand more. Sometimes you want that big following, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you answer your, (laughs) the question that I asked you instead of myself answering it. (laughs)
1: Oh, no. I think that they are both, they definitely, you have concerns regarding on um, what your goal is, right? So if your goal is to just have that credibility of being an author, absolutely put the book out. You can continue to promote it as you grow and it'll grow with you. Um, If your goal is to make sales, which it should be if you're trying to make money and like be seen, um, you do want to have an author platform. And so I would suggest that you start while you're writing your book, already kind of promoting your book, building your list. So for my first book, which was on affordable flights, basically that, what I just summarized for you guys, that was my first book. Um, And so I wrote that because it was something that people were asking me about during my, you know, 12 trips and 12 months challenge before my 30th birthday, people were like, how are you flying to all these places? How can you afford this? And so I didn't realize that inadvertently I had already spent that entire year promoting this book. Because already for a year, people had seen me posting flight deals. Already for a year, people had seen that added credibility of me actually going to these places. So they already had that question in mind. They wanted to know. They were primed for the book. And I wrote the book based on what people most asked me about. You don't need to have that many people, but you do need to have interested people. And I would start funneling those people into an email list so that you can contact them. I would start building your launch team about maybe a month or two before you publish your book. And those are people that are going to get advanced review copies of your book because you, a lot of people maybe balk at that because they're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to give out my baby for free, you know, but that's really such a short like mindset. You're not seeing bigger picture because you're talking about maybe a hundred, a thousand, even a hundred thousand people, let's say you give out the book to free free to. That's nothing compared to the millions of people on Amazon that are looking for books to buy. And so the more people that you have as your kind of inner launch team, your street team, the people that have gotten the book for free that are out there raving about your book, leaving you good reviews, promoting you, one of those people can get you exponentially more sales. So it's short minded to think that you're only going to get sales from your audience and that those are the people you have to sell to. I would challenge you to think otherwise and think that those are the people you should involve in the process, make feel like they're part of this accomplishment with you, give them an advanced review copy, take their feedback, incorporate it, you know, have them as your beta readers and use them to leave your reviews social proof so that your book will continue to do well and bring you profits way beyond the launch.
0: Yeah. And that's right. It's not like you're giving it away for free, right? You're kind of seeing the greater good of doing that. You're creating a bigger following. You're just, you're having someone who's just going to be a fan who will speak about your book without you having to do much else, right? So I, I completely understand that that point of view. With, with that um, book question, I'm going to kind of like wrap up more with what books have you read in the past and Which book have you read that you feel that it really like made an impact in your life? Maybe something that you read that you implemented in your routine or anything like that?
1: Um, so I love books by Gary V. I I love Gary Vee's mindset and I listen to him on audiobooks all the time. Uh, I think as a traveler, I'm definitely very stereotypical in the sense that like Eat, Pray, Love and Wild really show me that there could be female writers. Um, I have a book by Don George that I really enjoy. So he was my first writing cor- coach that I went with in a travel conference and I spent a whole day learning how to write. So I started learning about travel writing in general through his different books. Um, So I think there's a lot of people that I admire in the space and that have shown me that travel writing can be broad-reaching, like it can be universally appealing to people with different themes that aren't just traveling, but like, you know, Ypres Love was getting through divorce and Wilde was mourning the loss of a parent. So I think it really showed me that there is a way that you can convey the journey in a way that connects with others. And for me, the message I'm always trying to convey is for females that are scared of not meeting societal expectations or models of what they should be by a certain age. And that to me was something that I saw could be conveyed through an empowering message of travel. And that the, I think the, these books really laid the foundation for that. And that's why I enjoy them. Also, Harry Potter.
0: Um, the other question is, what did you do to kind of unwind for kind of the end of the day? Something that brings you kind of peace of mind, whether it's a hobby or something that you do.
1: So I do like, uh, I'm, it's a horrible thing. And it's like the anti thing of like what all successful entrepreneurs do. <laughs> But, um, I like watching Netflix. I just like, I feel like it just like, I, I will probably have watched it. Like if there's a new season of something and somebody's like, Oh, have you seen this? I'm like, Oh, you mean you didn't finish the entire season? Like the day it came out, like, what do you do on your spare time? I I don't understand. Um, Like a week later, somebody's talking to me about a show and I'm like, I finished out a week ago. So I really am. And I feel like I'm wasting my talent and not being like a freelance writer for shows because I'm like, I have so many opinions about like the chilling adventures of Sabrina. And I'm like, you know, like... Um, but it's just entertaining. And maybe that's the storyteller in me that I kind of just like to get lost in another world that doesn't require me kind of reading at the end of the day when already my eyes are tired and I've spent all day on like, you know, just kind of being creative. Um, and so that is a guilty pleasure of mine. I do like working out. So that's something I haven't done as much as I would like to this year. But now that it's the gyms have opened up again, because we discussed that I need credibility and, you know, accountability to go there. It's nice to have a little bit of activity in a busy day. And now that i'm in puerto rico. I try to have at least once a week I think daily is a little bit ambitious But once a week that I explore someplace new on the island and that makes me like kind of there's so much to see on the island. And so many people just don't realize, like, before you know it, like you're in a trail in the back of somebody's house that leads to these gorgeous natural pools that nobody even knew were there, you know, like, so there's so many cool things. And to me, that is a form of release in and of itself. Even if I can't fly somewhere, just to have the presence of being somewhere new, and discovering something in the moment, as it's all like your senses are being flooded, and you're just taking in everything new. That to me is really a way of releasing from all of my anxiety thoughts or like, you know, everything that I'm busy thinking about as an entrepreneur. So I really enjoy that. And I think that's what appeals to me most about travel in general.
0: Yeah. And I I love that you're in Puerto Rico. You're kind of like experiencing the island. Like I miss it. You know, I grew up there. And so when you're saying you're trying to like try different things, um, there's so much to do. I don't know what it looks like now with the pandemic, because if I ask my mom, you know, everything's on fire. And if I ask my dad, everything's okay. So I don't have I don't have a happy medium (laughs) opinion on the matter. I do have a couple of friends that are left uh, living there from the ones that didn't move after the hurricane. So I do get their perspective on the situation. Um, I'm trying to think of something that that I did. With, well, I was young and like a teenager. So besides going to bars and drinking, I don't think I did much else. So, yeah, kind of jealous because I do want to go see my family. But with this, I don't know the cases here are bad, and so I don't want to like get the family sick. So.
1: No, I understand. And I think that's definitely, you know, whenever anybody's ready, whenever you feel comfortable, I definitely understand the hesitation. Um, But we are doing okay here. I think for the most part, there's curfews, mass allowances, some things that shut down early. But I mean, already it gets dark at six o'clock. So if it shuts down seven, I mean, that's really the end of the day. You got to wake up earlier. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how I feel right now.
0: (laughs) But it works out. And I I hope that we get to welcome you soon. Awesome. Awesome. So I did want to give you the space to share anything that you want to share where people can find you and follow you on Instagram. Um, So I'm going to give you that space now.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, you can find me at Jen on a Jet Plane on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, all on the same handle, like leaving on a jet plane, Jen on a jet plane. <laughs> um, I haven't been on any jet planes this year, but soon.
0: And uh, also on Amazon, all my books are under Jen Ruiz. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was an awesome conversation.
1: Thank you. Likewise. I had so much fun.
0: This past year has left so many people unemployed and wondering what other career opportunities are out there. I hope that with this episode, you find some tools and tricks if you're looking for a new career as a freelancer. We all have the control of what our career looks like if we have the discipline to follow that path. But for now, peace out and see you next time.